Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. Kieran, stoked to chat with you. Um, how's your morning been so far? Yeah, good, man. Just actually went and um, picked up a few more, a bit more gear, a few more items. And um, yeah, we've got a lot of wind here at the moment. So excited to get out this afternoon. Cool. And I know you, we had talked a little bit beforehand, but you had said that your day was empty. So you're getting it winging after. Um, whereabouts <laughs> are you in Australia? Uh, Sunshine Coast. So East Coast okay. of Australia. Okay, cool. And um, so you're going to go out there all afternoon. What's the wind look like today? Um, so we've got a cyclone actually just sitting north of us, which is sucking some wind through us. So we'll be looking at about hopefully 20 knots, uh, about three to four foot of swell. So and hopefully that the next few days, actually, we should get get all the remnants of that um, cyclone. It's just staying off the coast. So it's not going to hit any of the any of the Australia, which is good. So no one's going to get hurt by it. It's going to produce uh, wind and swell. Oh, sweet. Nice. That'll be a fun afternoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when um, I know you'd reached out and you'd talked to us and we had so many different things that we want to talk about today. But um, how long have you been involved in water sports? I'm kind of curious to start there. Yeah. So as I was saying to you before when we were talking, I came from Brisbane, which is about you know, an hour and a half away from either Gold Coast or Sunshine Coast, if people are looking on the okay. map. Um, so I've kind of call myself a weekend surfer you know it was um pretty much since I was a teenager kind of in and out of it you know you go through stages where you surf a lot and not so much um and then we moved up here in 2019 to the Sunshine Coast my wife was a doctor and she got work up here for a six-week contract and then four weeks into that contract we bought a house and decided we were gonna live here forever um And I just had a really big plan to, you know, get into surfing and, and really focus on trying to get better at surfing than the fact I was living here and I'd have more time. Um, and I was, you know, I was going out and I was struggling with crowds and conditions and waiting for the right conditions. And if it was really good, you're talking, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. So, you know, trying to improve in those conditions were hard. Um, and then I saw someone foiling. And crazy as I am, I decided the next day to go spend three and a half grand to go buy a foil. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's not and an easy move. So, um, yeah, I, I, I got the foil and I went out, uh, you know, I watched some videos and I thought, Jesus, can't okay. be too hard. And I went out and I thought, you know, I just made a terrible decision here, spending this money um, on a foil because, you know, I, it didn't feel like I was going to get anywhere close to it. Didn't, you know... I've heard on your podcast for guys talk about it, you know, getting up in the first, you know, session or, and, and I wasn't even close. Um, so I reached out to a, a shop near here and got up behind a jet ski okay. and found my feet. And then, um, yeah, started from there. I'd, I'd still surf quite a bit. And uh, when we get big swells here over four or five foot, we've got some really good foiling waves, like point breaks that are just too fat for surfing. Um so, you know, from 2019, I probably foil four to six times a year. Okay. Um, that was probably it, surfing between. So I wouldn't say I was, you know, some big waterman or, or into water sports my whole life. You know, I kind of, my biggest thing has been foiling is where okay. I've really gotten to sports. 
Now, and right. you started toe foiling at the start, like, or sorry, toe foil paddle kind of foiling? Yeah, I started, start I started right with, away? no, no, no. So I started with paddling um, okay. and I did that for a bit. And then I found a bit of a crew and I had a jet ski. And, you know, it was just time on the foil is really important, I find. And I found with proning, though I had enjoyment for it, I wasn't having so much time on foil. Um, and I found with the towing, you know, you're able to get picked up, go back out, catch a wave and really focus on being on foil and how your foil works, how it moves um, and how you need to react to it on the waves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, totally. Yeah. I think prone foiling is like the hardest possible way to learn how to foil. There's so many other ways that are so much easier. And proning, as you say, unless you're a really stellar foiler and you have just absolutely perfect conditions, you just spend so little time on the foil that it's just going to take so long to learn by proning. Yeah, I think mm. that's how you found a lot of people got frustrated with it at the beginning. Um, and why, I guess when we're going to, but why winging has opened the door to so many more people being able to foil. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are talking about earlier, just the age bracket with winging, like you, your age bracket literally is 14 to 80. You could be an 80-year-old and go out and, and give winging a go and have a real shot at getting it. Um, yep. So I think things opened up the market so much more than it ever would have with proning or someone needing the money to own a jet ski. Yeah. So how long, I guess, so you did that for what, two, three years, you said, and then you, then yeah, you got years. into winging after two years. Yeah. Okay. So um, the winging part, so about 12 months ago, um, I was looking at kiting, you know, just yeah. something else down the water and someone um, let me a wing and I started paddling out the surf with it and I put a hole in it um, before yeah. I even got out. So out of, felt a bit obliged to buy the wing. So I got it fixed okay. and bought it and then <laughs> decided, you know, if I've spent this much money, I'm going to put in the time to learn the sport. Okay. Okay. And what, what kind of wing was that? That was an, <laughs> an ocean rodeo. So not a cheap wing. Okay. The glide or was that the full Lula one? Uh, just just out of curiosity. Full oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah that that, that, that's not a cheap mistake. <laughs> No, it's not a cheap mistake. So you, you understand why now I am very much focused on learning the sport. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah, I um, a mistake and got you into winging, so that's great. Oh, man. And it's, yeah, <laughs> in hindsight, was the best mistake I've ever made. I love it. So I'm really curious to talk about your community in NX. We had touched about that briefly before. So how you could bring in people from all these different walks of life, have them together, so can you talk maybe a little bit about that wing foiling community of where you're at? Yeah, so um, we kind of started a WhatsApp group. Oh, I was about one or two other guys just to, you know, you know, where are you going today? What do you think the weather's going to be? What spot are you going to go? What time are you going to go? Just so you can have someone else to go with. Yeah. Um, and that's how it all kind of started. And then, you know, I started going down the beach and I'd see, you know, a random guy maybe start going by himself and we're coming in. And I just had the idea that, you know, I'm just going to, everyone I see does that, does that. I'm just going to go up to them, approach them and, you know, ask their number if they want to drop the, join the WhatsApp group. And, you know, we're up to 40 people now, which nice. is, um, nice. which is awesome. It's all, you know, it's, you, people just get on there. We've got some wind today. So, you know, it, it only really fires up when there's wind, but we've got wind today. So 
everyone will kind of just jump on and say, listen, I'm going to this spot about 1.30. Someone, I can't make it. I'm going to this spot at 2.30. So it kind of gives someone to ride with. Um, yeah. You know, safety factor and I guess just the, the stoke factor. It's always more, more enjoyable when you've got someone else there hooting you when you catch a good wave or good, do a good jump than, you know, being out there by yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's something that's really a cool distinction between the surfing community and the wind sport community is that it's so much more inclusive. If you walk up to another surfer and you ask them, like, where is it happening? What's a good break? They're going to be like, uh, you know, uh, not here. Uh, whereas if you exactly. try to, you know, chat with somebody winging or kiting or windsurfing, they're usually super stoked and they want to, you know, share information and stuff like that. That's that's oh, really cool to see that it got you into it and you've been able to start this group. That's really sweet. Oh man, it's amazing. Like we've got a spot, a flat water spot um on the Sunshine Coast. Kind of everyone who's a learner will go there. Uh it's kind of where you'll start. You know, it's just it's a good spot, it's quite safe. And yeah, you know, everyone goes there and everyone goes there and chats. And, and you're right, it's so different to surfing around. Everyone's so willing to help each other in the sport, which is which is so good. It's just so refreshing, you know, to have a water sport where I was, uh, I was saying to Luke before that, you know, it doesn't matter if there's 20 of you out in a the spot. There's so much of a wave that you can cover and, and you know, you've got 20 surfers, everyone's hustling for one peak. It's just it's just not the same in wing, in wing sport. Um, totally. There's an enjoyment and sharing with numbers that you won't get in surfing. Especially when you put a foil into the equation, because as you say, you can ride kind of anything. You don't need to be right, right at that perfect spot, right at that perfect peak. So absolutely. So we talked a little bit, Eddie. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy mickey from salt spring island today i got in an epic one with my friend Britt. um we went from latuna all the way to the beach and back um heck of a fun time if you're looking to learn there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at saladita kite school they are positioned at latuna and now that i've been here a little while i've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots it is one of the more beginner friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, they do offer professional jet ski assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School. At Saladita Kite School. The Eagle. I'm interested in hearing hearing your your historic <laughs> debut into pro. <laughs> so I don't know. I just I'm I'm the kind of person that once I commit to something, that's it. I, I'm I'm going to commit to it, no matter what I do in life. And, um, yeah, I watched a, I remember watching a wing foiling world tour in Morocco, I think it was, and just watching these guys, these perfect point breaks. And, and um, you know, I was looking at the level and, you know, freestyle was just, you know, something beyond what I could imagine at the time. But I was looking at surfing and I was like, yeah, I might be able to compete on this level with the surfing if I put in a bit of time. 
and it'd just be a bit of amazing to go ride in one of these you know one of these spots in the world where they go and just you know with the you know, two man three man heat and um you know before i'd even really you know i was probably five months in the sport i contacted the world wing falling tour and i said listen i'm interested in um trying to get to one of your events and yeah surprisingly they responded to me and mm-hmm. said you know definitely apply and you know when we've got wild cards we we can we'd be able to get you into um an event you can come over so it all kind of started with that and then i got a bit more serious in my riding and um you know started working on i guess my freestyle element because i knew that that's what I was, I was really missing compared to if you see these European guys, the wine guys, it's just amazing what, what they're pulling off in the air. But it's also, you know, the conditions they're riding in 20, 30 knots compared to our average 12 to 16 here. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just, I started working on it and, and practicing, practicing. And then I saw they're having a, um, an event here in March, New Zealand, just across the ditch. So about three hour flight from here. And um, I entered and, and I got in. So, you know, now all my friends are calling me Eddie the Eagle because we have no freestyle here. <laughs> and I'm part of just this 38-year-old guy who came up with an idea four months into a sport. And, um, yeah, I'm going to go over and hopefully be competitive. And um, super That's excited. Awesome. Yeah, and super excited to see what I can learn off the guys. Like, I'm really looking forward to the five days before. Um, the competition because you know, I've reached out to a few guys and it seems that they go over and all train together. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's a lonely time in Australia trying to do freestyle when you're just, you know, trying to learn this backflip and trying to learn this backflip where I'm just, all I'm doing is watching on video, but it's very different to see it in person or have someone who knows who's doing it to give you those little adjustments because that's all it might be. Um, at the moment, I've got the rotation, but I'm just struggling with the wing. And putting holes in wings so um yeah just just hopefully i can push my riding and bring it back here and then if there's anyone else who's interested in australia then i can be passing tips down down the line totally i think it's uh it's something that i'm we're hoping to see show up in winging but there's not that much grassroots events right now as far as i know anyways like there's the international tour which is really cool for all the pros for people that are kind of getting into it and just looking into getting into, you know, more amateur competition and stuff like that, it doesn't really exist yet. And I think that the, you know, for me, in my windsurfing, uh, the most progression I ever made was when I was around pros riding. You just learn so much. It's unbelievable. I think what you're doing is amazing that that you're going to manage to get into the event and that you're going to participate in it. Like, you're going to learn so much. It's going to be such a fun experience. Yeah, and that, that's that's it for me, the worst thing. Like, don't get me wrong, I want to be competitive. I'm not, like, I, I'm a competitive person. I want to go over there and be competitive. But I am looking forward to hopefully really progressing my riding um, and just seeing where you sit. It's, it's very – it's hard to see where you sit on film, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, we've got some really good wave riders in Australia and we have had some, you know, some local wave riding um, competitions here. It's mostly racing. Uh, racing's really popular here because we had a lot of windsurfing racing in Australia. A lot of them are transitioning over to winging. Um, so we've got quite a strong racing community in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, just, we've got no grassroots freestyling. You're right. Nothing at all in Australia that has freestyling. Um, okay. I know in Europe, in Europe it's a lot better. It is a lot better in Europe. 
Well, we have one buddy, right? Um, Max, um, he's from Toronto. He got yeah. sponsored through a store in Toronto and now he's on the tour as well. And now he was in Spain. I think he's in Mexico right now training. And he was probably one of the better windsurfers back East in Canada. Um, and now it's been oh, really yeah. fun to Definitely. see his progression. Um, he's working on front flip, back flip rotations um, just to get that stuff up to a certain standard to see if he can compete as well. And it's been super cool to watch. So we'll be stoked to watch you out there too. Well, you know, he's saying extremely funny. Um, but, I actually reached out to him about two days ago. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So I reached out to him about two days ago and I saw that he was, you know, he was on the tour and he was coaching and I actually just reached out to him on Instagram and said, mate, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming to this, uh, tour event. I see you're in it, New Zealand, and I'd just love to uh, ride with you and get some tips off you and shows you with the sport. He straight away wrote back and goes, "No problem, man. Happy to help you out. Um, let me know when you're there, and we'll meet up and I'll ride with you." Um, awesome. you, world, should, man. you should totally do that. He's not only is he a really serious athlete, like he had, he was doing a Olympic windsurfing campaign before. But he's also a super good coach. Like he's a, uh, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. And give him a high five for for me and for Luke as well because he's a good buddy of ours from uh, from back home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's. But that's another. You know, what I mean, like you're not gonna. I don't know. It's just funny that you don't know if these guys, you know, will take the time out of the day, and he didn't have to. And you know, it's just another thing with the sport. It's awesome that you know someone you compete against is gonna take out the time to give you their time of day to help you out. Hmm. I find there's certain there's certain aspects of different like I used to ride motorcycle and I raced motorcycle a little bit and I went through some different life changes and I don't do that anymore but the biggest aspect of that whole thing was the camaraderie of the community like every time you rode down the street or a road you would wave at them and you felt like you're a part of this bigger family and when I found the wind community when I was rehabbing from the accidents that life brought through that motorcycle it was amazing to find these people that were kind of, that lived a little bit differently, thought a little bit differently, that had something that drove them from a deep passion inside of them. And it was, it was a passion that was very much different than I had seen. It wasn't corporate drive. It wasn't greed drive. It was like freedom and joy that they were working on. And then everybody, for the most part, they're like, Hey, like you, you, you build this brand new community of friends. And then your community expands everywhere you go. Like if you go to these different spots around the world, I got friends from all over now and you still share that same love and passion for this sport. And I think that's been, that's probably been one of the nicest aspects of wind sports for me. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's what you feel the same, which is cool. Well, look, yeah, you know, we're totally on the same boat as well. Dude. Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking from different sides of the world, which we never, you know, take away winging and we, 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 you know, we don't have this conversation and, and you know, we're yeah. talking about all So, and it's just a little, you know, I was saying to you before that I went over to Fiji in December mm-hmm. and, you know, I got to ride stuff I never would have ridden. Never. If, it, you know, though I surfed, I never would have gone over there with, you know, and done, did the stuff I did over there because of winging and met the people over there because of winging. And one of the coolest, just getting a story in that, is one of the coolest things about, the boats who were going to Fiji was one day, it, it just got really windy and there's a beautiful left-hand point break um, off the side, which is the photo for, for this episode. 
And, um, you know, you had all the surf guys sitting on there. They were watching. And, you know, I went off from the island with, with um, one of the, of the instructors who's actually here from the Sunshine Coast. And then we were riding these perfect four or five-foot reef breaks with this 20-knot wind. And it was just like a ride. Like you'd, you'd go out the channel, find a set from right at the back and ride it in. And we were out there for about four hours. And when we came back in, you know, two of the surf guides, one from America and a New Zealand guy was like, man, can you come show us how a wing works? You know, come out the back and, you know, <laughs> nothing we ever thought we would, we'd try. But we've just been sitting there, you know, not being able to surf. And you're out there having a ball for four hours. You know, we want to we want to give it a go. So, um, you know, I ended up taking him behind a jet ski and teaching a bit of foiling and showed him how the wing works. And, you know, it's just, it's just cool that I suppose, you know, guys who probably think they wouldn't do it or have no interest kind of will watch it and then go, yeah, it's something that I can find fun. And, like, the demographics for our podcast, it's mainly 45 to 60. And I'm finding that kind of interesting as well, that like a lot of other sports, even kiting and, and even windsurfing for the most part, you'll have some guys that are doing it a little bit later, but this is opening up a huge window for people who are a little bit older that when you get your dynamics of standing up, figuring out your wing, like you can foil, like we were saying, right up into your eighties kind of thing, even maybe even later, um, depending on what kind of, foiling you want to get into which is also pretty cool um because you're mentioning the competition there you might have some young people competing with like 40 and some year olds like there's such a wide age group um which is pretty neat if you think about it yeah i was talking to you about it before it's, it's pretty amazing trying to compare another sport where you know in the world tour you're talking about not just one 40 plus year old or one 15 year old and then everyone in that 20s you're talking you know numerous of people in their 40s numerous of kids in their teens all competing in this in this one event and you know i suppose golf is the only thing i can really think that's that's similar in um to have that so and i think with the equipment you talk about the age i think as equipment gets better as well it's going to open up so you know your most pressure you've got on yourself is really getting on foil um once you're on foil you know you could be on foil for if you're on foil you could be on four for three, four hours and really not be sore. There's so little resistance against you once you're up and going. Um, and with the equipment getting better, you know, if an older guy who, who might have, you know, some limitations with their fitness can be on a bigger foil, a bigger wing, that's going to get them up easier. And once they're on foil, you know, they can be out there for hours. At 15 or 70, how stoked are they when they get up on the foil for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> are your kids getting into it? No, they're a bit young. They're only six, four, and uh, three. Um, okay. Yeah, they're a bit young at the moment, but um, I, I definitely will be keen to um, hopefully get them and see because it's going to be amazing what this sport is in, in 15 years, you know what I mean? Like you're talking two years old and guys doing front flips and back flips on waves in 720s. Um, you yeah. know, it's amazing where where it goes. Like, you know, is it going to become strapless and these kids even doing 360s with no straps on? Um you know, it's just endless to think of where it could be. <laughs> yeah, we interviewed we interviewed uh, Caden Pritchard from Maui um, yeah. around Christmas time, and um, the stuff this kid's pulling off is is crazy. And and it's really it was, it's really cool to be able to look at this like as a life thing to be able to have talked to him at thirteen and then maybe talk to him in 10, 15 years from now to just see and he can look back at that interview and say, hey, like this is where I was and this is how far the sports progress. Because we've mentioned in this on other episodes, 
I personally haven't had the opportunity to watch a sport evolve like this one. We're at an age that I can actually kind of comprehend what's going on. Windsurfing was kind of before my time. Cutting was before my time. But this one, it's kind of cool that you can watch through all those renditions, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, and it's it's quite funny because uh, a lot of, and you've said it before, message. A lot of people talk about you know this happened with windsurf, like this this blow up of a sport happened with windsurfing and happened with kiteboarding. It happened with supping and, um, you know, it's happening with winging. But it's funny. I, I, I can't say I was ever around for those explosions either. But I just feel that winging is so accessible for so many different people and can cover mm. so much of the world that I see it being big. I mm. see it growing. You know, it's looking to go into Olympics. You know, you've got racing. You've got freestyle. You've got – they haven't even touched on the wave competitions yet. You know, they're doing their first wave competitions this year. Um, on the world tour um, okay. and you know what these kids are going to be able to do on a wave in, in 15 years without the freestyle is, is you know there's no limit and when there's no mm -hmm. limit to something there's endless growth and um, you know if you've got enough people enough growth enough interest it's, it's going to build and it is going to get bigger um, I'd love to learn a little bit about your progression in winging so yeah. when you started and then just kind of walk us through that and then maybe even talk about some of your first moves and how you were able to kind of connect those dots. Yeah. So I had zero wind experience. So none. So when I was going out there, I, I had to learn everything from scratch. So I knew nothing about wind direction, what, you know, where you could go, what wind direction, tide, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I found that most people, like most people, I was going out in quite light wind and I was really struggling, um, you know, to try and put the foiling together with holding the wing in the right direction. And, you know, I did that for a few weeks and, you know, I'd get up on foil, you know, I'd get going a bit. As soon as I come down, it'd be another half an hour to work myself up. Okay. Um, and then I started going out in strong wind. And I know we don't always, you don't always get this, but I always recommend this when someone's learning is go out in strong wind. There's nothing wrong with no power because you're going to get on foil nice and quick, which mm -hmm. is the hardest bit. Then you're going to, you know, you can figure that out. Once you're up and going, you'll start figuring out your progression. Um, so I, I definitely say that when you're learning, strong wind is your friend, which, you know, I suppose goes against a lot of what people might think. Um, I don't know, you as a coach, if, if you'd agree with that, but I just found it a lot easier um, what, to learn. What does strong, strong wind mean to you? 15 like to 20. 20 sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the, yeah, the lowest number I feel like 16 knots is like when you start to see the water get a bit darker, you'll have the light layer of water and then it starts to get these dark patches that are coming down in gusty Canada and they're very easy to see. I don't know if it's the same over there, but 16 <laughs> to 20 is such a magical, beautiful number that it, it, it just kind of, it powers you right up. So I, I do agree with that for sure. Yeah, and then so I, I started, so I... Three weeks of really, really terrible time um, okay. and, and enjoyable uh, at all. Uh, I found it, you know, difficult. I, it was tiring. It was, it was a lot of work. Um, and then, you know, it starts coming together. And I, I compare it to, to when I learned snowboarding. Um, snowboarding was a lot quicker, but, you know, I remember starting snowboarding and that first day you just think, I'm never going to get this balance. You know, I just mm. you keep falling, keep falling. And then suddenly you find... You find your middle ground, and I, I found it the same with winging. Is once I found that sweet spot, um, everything else started coming a lot easier. Um, okay. So you know, from that the progression straight lines, and then into um, 
into tacking, into turning, um, and then, you know, this is a progression over probably a month, and okay. then started with the, with the little jumping um, and jumping into twisting. Okay. <laughs> and then twisting into trying to flip. Um, okay. So I was, look, I was, I was attempting backflips probably six months in. Um, oh, wow. You know, I had my 180s down probably three months in and, you know, 360s around the same time as backflips. And then, you know, it's really, and saying down, I would, you know, not landing consistently, but, you know, being able to pull it off. And, um, you know, the last six months has really been about, you know, getting better um, on waves. So learning how to how to read a wave, where to get onto the wave with the wing, how to hold your wing neutral. Um, you know, you guys are not windsurfing, uh, learning to power up on a wave, the right time to power up with your wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, just just trying to progress and trying to get more consistent with my tricks, and and just go, I, I go out literally every time there's wind. So, um, like, how often are you getting out? Because that kind of progression normally it takes longer than than a year. Like that's that's super quick progression. Um. So this week, I've, winter we're not getting much wind. So okay. winter maybe one or two weeks. Um. During summer, we have good patches like right now where I'm getting out five days a week. And I'll go, oh, really? I'll, I'll, okay. go out there for, I'll go out there for three, four hours. Um, okay. I'm addicted. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's and, awesome. And, you know, I'll fall and, and people just, the biggest thing is you don't be scared. People are gonna, don't be scared to fall. Learning how to fall is really important when you have a foil underneath your feet in the wing. And um, feeling safe to foil will make you enjoy foiling and make you progress a lot quicker. Um, if you're worried about foiling and uh, falling and, and hurting yourself, I, I think you it'll take you longer um, because you'll mm-hmm. have that in the back. So I think learning to foil and where learning to fall and where to drop your foil and where to drop your wings is an important part of the sport. Do you have any tips for people that you found have helped you? So I watch a lot of people trying to learn, and they're way too back heavy. Um, on their foot where they're trying to get away. To get on four, you really want to get that forward momentum. So making sure you're kind of pulling with your wing and, and pushing your, your upper body forward and then your lower body fall, uh, follow through to make you get up on foil as quick as possible. And um, mm-hmm. making sure that you just you spend heaps of time. You can, I, I know everyone doesn't have the chance, but getting behind a jet ski or a boat and getting up on foil and just learning how to correct yourself on a foil or how a foil feels will just make such a difference when you are doing winging or any sign of foiling because it's, it's such an unnatural feeling to be on a foil. Um, I was listening to, I think, your episode last week when you talked to Steve Tobis, I think his name is, and you asked him what was like first time you got on a foil and he was like getting bucked on a, on a bike on top of a ladder. And it, it's so true. So I think, I think the winging side... You know, those little things with the feet and stuff, you know, you, I recommend everyone goes to a coach and they're learning and you're going to give them that sort of advice and okay. that's going to help. But you can't beat time on foil because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're getting up, um, you'll probably find this as a coach, a lot of people might get up and then have their foot in the wrong place or they might have their weight in the wrong direction because they just don't know what, you know, how to react to a foil moving in one way or another. So mm-hmm. definitely in general, I think, you know, getting on your foil as much as possible is going to help your winging and, and everything going forward. No, it's a good tip. And what I started doing actually 
is coaching people based on their skill set. Sometimes you'll have a pretty good athlete who has never done anything foil related. You can stand them up right away because you can just tell they're like that. Others, I would actually get them to sit. And then what we do sitting is we just get them to sit and then you'll start to feel on a big, massive board because, and then we just get that. And then once you can get sitting a little bit, we'll put you on your knees. And then from kneeling, you can start to control the foil and you can't buckle nor hurt yourself on your knees. And sometimes with some individuals, all they would do is their first couple sessions. Yes, it burned out their quads. Yes, <laughs> but it, it taught them that basic of like, okay, so the foil does this, the foil does that. Then our third session, I would stand them up. So I felt that slow, nice, slow progression time on foil was a lot safer because it's not about speed per se behind a jet ski. You can gun it like I can go whatever, but I could start. I think the slow end was like even on, on the speedometer on there, it, it would say 10. Now at 10, I could get you up and that's all we really needed. So that's kind of cool. Um, yep. so, so getting into your first jumps, terrifying. Was that fun? How did that feel? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely scary. Um, and I know you hear, you hear from every professional winger that I've heard him speak about. It's that committing. Um, and the easiest way to hurt yourself is not committing. Um, and I think, you know, the first two you'll do, it, it's going to be scary. Um, and there's a lot of timing involved in it to hit the wave right, to have the wing under, the wind underneath your wing um, and getting that pop. But all I can say is it's so doable. doesn't matter, you know, if you're a month in, if you're going, it is a doable thing to start doing. And um, once you get some serious height, uh, there's no better feeling. It's literally no better feeling than just looking down on a wave while you're, you know, you're flying in the air and, and when you time everything right, it's just, yeah, it's, it's one of the best feelings you'll get out there. So I'd just say, um, yeah, just, just you want to find a bump, um, find yourself a bump. I compare it to an ollie in, on a skateboard. Um, get that pop, get your wing in the right direction. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to fall. Um, but it's how you're going to learn. So, and you will progress really quick once you, once you do, because it really isn't that hard at all. Fair enough. And what size of boards, or how much do you weigh? And then what size of boards are you riding? I'm about 77 kilos. And okay. after a lot of refining, I'm between a 50 and a 60 litre board. I'll ride majority of the time now. If it's super heavy, um, I could drop down to 30. Um, and if it's really light, I'll pull out my um, downwind board. And a big foil just to have a bit of a cruise around. Okay, fair enough. So your average board is what, like minus 25, I guess? For like seven, yeah. 75 kilos down to 50? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you said you just got picked up and you're just starting to ride with uh, Do It's On Fanatic. Is that right? Yeah. So I just actually yesterday decided, well, I've jumped on with them, which is, which is really exciting. Um, I guess it all comes back to... You know, I was, I was with Nash and Nash took me on early and, and they've been absolutely fantastic. And um, Nash in Australia, the guy JB is one of the most passionate um, foilers, wing surfers, kiters you'll ever meet in your life and has given me amazing advice over the six months I was with him. Um, for me, it was uh, Duotone has riders on tour. And I guess as we talked about before, as, um, as you guys were saying before, you need to be around riders to improve. And um, that's really given me the opportunity to ride with some of their guys 
leading up to these events and hopefully if I go to more events, just being around, you know, a professional crowd um, that, yeah, I can I can train with and not to mention their wings are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and amazing yeah. that the, I'm on the new unit. Um, I don't have all my stuff yet, but it really is amazing the, the low-end grunt that wing has and, you know, being able to get that speed nice and quick in between waves to boost and, and transition. Mm-hmm. No, I, I use one of the early on Nash wings and, and they don't have a lot of low end. They're more of a higher wind range, I guess, kind of wing. But I was quite impressed with the evolution of the Duotone from, I used one this summer, a brand new one. And uh, they were pretty, they were comparable, let's say to the F1s. KTs came out. They were also really, really good for low end grunt, but they pumped well. They were a super fun wing. Um, so I think you're going to love love riding on those for sure. What you're so you're riding their boil? Obviously, they're board and foil too. Yep. So um, I'm riding a 55 liter Fanatic Ellie wing board. I'm going to say, okay. um, and I'm waiting for my pause to come. But at the moment, I'm just in between using a um, thousand flow which is probably a bit big for me i went out on yesterday it's um yeah i i definitely use smaller foils um i like to be quite whippy in the waves and, and turn it quite sharp um so you know it was super easy to get out of the water um great on just lumps but um okay. you know it was a bit big in in um steeper sections for me okay are you riding uh, mid mid aspect, higher aspect stuff? What do you find the best for your waves out there? Um, so I've actually, I was riding mid aspect the whole time, which you know, for for steep sections and recovery, I just don't think you can beat them. Um, okay. They were literally mid aspect wings will give you so much leeway, and you know, if you breach it, if you come out where you're losing is you're losing speed, and I guess. Um, and pumpability. So, um, you know, at the moment I was, I was kind of riding the in-between the Mark 1s from Nash, which was quite a good in-between wing. Um, but I'm super excited about the um, the Fanatic Car 750. I've watched quite a bit online and it just looks like such a ripple wing. Sweet. No, I think that's going to be so good. It's the first time they go over to New Zealand. Is that right? No, I've been New Zealand skiing. I've actually been there okay. snowboarding. Okay. Um, but yeah, first time I've been in North Island. So it's up in Bay of Plenty. Okay. Um, don't ask me to pronounce the exact spot because I can't off the top of my head. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Basically, I fly into Auckland and it's about a two hour drive and it's a little coastal town. Um, they've got a wing festival down there. So okay. they'll have wing four racing, um, music. I think they have sup racing. Um, and the Wingfall Tour. So it's over about a – so I think the waiting period is 3rd to 11th. So, okay. yeah, I'm going to try and go there five days before and, and you know, just wing as, as much as I possibly can. Um, okay. And as I said, hopefully get some tips off these guys and, and kind of see where I um, – you know, how far off it I am, which is really mm-hmm. interesting to me. Um, see, you know, to see where I need to, to be to be competitive with these guys. Max is, uh, we'll mess it because we've been trying to, we want to have a chat, just a catch up with them because we we normally would sail with them on the Great Lakes, but 
we'll follow up with him to chat with him. I, he's awesome. And his, he has a really good crew of people now that, that he trains with. So they're going to be more than happy to, to chill and do stuff. Max is probably one of the, the, one of the nicest guys. And, and like, I, I met him at Sandbanks and it would just became super tight. So he, he's a, he's a real good guy. So I think it'll be super fun. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm so excited. Like, and especially the fact that, you know, someone's a, being a coach, you know, and you're a coach and it, it just, they can kind of explain things, you know, probably better than someone like I can or, or, you know, someone else who might be a fantastic writer. But, mm-hmm. you know, you guys as coaches, you just seem to break it down a lot easier um, and be able to explain it in a way that you can kind of transition that into actually doing it. So yeah. that's fair. And Max is taking it from like my level of coaching will go to where I can ride. Now his level is like that next level. And he's been able to work through and learn all that and train. So he, his coaching will be a completely different level than mine. Like I'm taking people from zero to yeah, yeah, once yeah. they can tack and jibe and, like I, I just ride strapless all the time. I don't even jump. So, um, yeah. but I have been looking at getting a smaller board. So it's cool talking to you guys about just what boards you're riding. Um, Cause I've just been riding a float and ride like a 70 liter. I'm 50, uh, 150 pounds. So like whatever, whatever that comes out to 70 some kilo. Yeah, so the 70 liter board for me is just a floater. I can come in and eight knots and float on it and stuff. But yeah. um, this year I was starting to think, Steve was saying he rides a 32 or 33 liter. Um, yeah. is his smaller board, because he sinks that well. So you're 50. Now that thing's, it's thinking a little bit, right? But it's not, yeah, how do you so, want to start that thing? No, so I'll just, it's, it's quite funny to talk about it because I went all the way down to a 30. And I suppose okay. Steve, um, you know, he's riding in Hawaii when they've got some serious wind. Yeah. And um you know, I was in serious wind. I think water start can actually deep water start can be easier. I think yeah. it's you can you know your feet are already set. You can hold your wing in position, and you're literally just puffing and you're straight up on the floor. You're not having to transition from knee up to a leg. Um, we just don't get enough wind that it was feasible for me to do it enough. So I had to kind of find in between. So fifty liter, I'll be on my knees, but I'll be sinking. You know, maybe I don't know half a foot underneath. And then okay. as soon as I get any wind, it'll pop up, and then I'm up to my feet. Um, kind of found the 50 look fire is probably my perfect weight. I literally just sink it, um, you know, but in light wind, I can stand on it and, and still kind of putt back in if I had to. Okay, um, so, so your, knee, your knee starting, you're not surf style starting. Yeah, your knee starting on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, knee starting. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I have a very similar um, you do uh, I find that something around your weight in kilogram is 20 to 25 is really the sweet spot where you can still make it work when it's light but it's totally small enough to be fun when it's windy and you're not getting penalized by having to do a water start because realistically water starting you need 20 knots like unless you're yeah, using a huge wind like you, you, you need a lot of wind and it's just not a reality for a lot of people, um, especially if you're riding in spots where it's really gusty and you have, you know, 12 gusting to 20 knots. Your 20 knots is only lasting about 10 seconds. So you're either real fast and real efficient or you're just never going to get up. So, yeah, I think Steve riding in Maui with all that wind totally makes sense. 
But for anybody looking into getting into uh, smaller boards, that weight minus, your weight in kilograms minus 20 to 25, it's a really good place to start. Um, and just the last little thought on that is I would say, and I don't know what you think about this, Kieran, but to me, um, you should kind of hold off on that board until you're making all of your transitions basically all the time. If you're falling, you know, half the time in your transition, I think you're not quite ready yet for that part and it's just going to be more of a hassle and it's going to be a, a fun thing. Yeah, it takes, it takes away fun if you're always having to get up. I think you also find that um, a lot of the companies are realising that majority of the people who are riding don't have those Maui conditions. Um, like, mm-hmm. to be honest, totally. Maui is a special wind place and I think what you'll find is they're making shorter boards more floaty so you know 50 my 55 liter fanatic boards four seven so you know i can throw that thing around um as much as i want i, I, I don't feel like it, it stops through my spinning or my jumping but um you know i can still knee start it and get out through the waves or if i had to come back in for safety um and i even think a 70 for someone my weight you know is a very very enjoyable you know progressive um board you could be on you can still do a lot of things on a 70 liter board that's you know five feet um mm-hmm. without that struggle if you are struggling on a smaller board or you're still struggling between you know doing your turns or getting up how big um how big was the board that you started on uh, i started on 85 liter okay that's still wow. small enough oh that that's must have been <laughs> yeah, but I could I could still stand on that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I, <laughs> I just I found it float. It was it floated me. Um, you know, I had to progress pretty. I didn't. I was starting with the guys I was going with. You know, I was three months, six months behind these guys. So, you know, I, I didn't really have a choice but to learn quick. Otherwise, it was a lot of paddling and a lot of walking up beaches for me. Why it would have been? Because I learned on a hundred and. I don't know. I think I was on a 105, a windsurf kind of big 105. And um, I think I may even have been on a 150 for a little bit at the start too. And then from there, 105 down to an 80. And then the 80 was a decent jump. And now down to 72, just because in cold water, I didn't want to have to worry about it sinking at all. But yeah, um, bigger boards, it's great when they learn, but I find they struggle with that swing weight once they start oh, getting yeah. their turn. Stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and and, you know, I've had so many people, I, I just, you know, I'll say, you know, you're up now, which, you know, they have to be up. You want to start on a big board and get those straight lines, but you see them start to turn and they're on a one, a 130 litre and you see that thing, you know, ankle breaker, go the opposite direction. You just think, geez, I think you're ready to I, drop down on five and ninety. Our teaching are absolute beginners. They may have kited, they've never foiled. So in, in, if I only have them for one hour, and then it's part of their vacation to Vancouver Island, for example, I try to make it a little bit fun. So hopping them on a 150 or 30, at least they can get up because a lot of these guys are weighing like they're not 150 to 165 pounds or sometimes 180, 200, even 220. So it's like we're try- I'm trying to get them aboard and the school has a board big enough. But after they figure it out, like maybe in a couple hours, they would be ready for something significantly smaller, which is the nice thing yeah. about going to a school because then you you might avoid buying the big behemoth that you might not need for very long if you progress quickly, right? So sometimes uh, taking lessons will save you some money. 
I recommend a hundred percent. Like I, everyone I talk to, you should go to a school. Like yep. you, everyone should go to a school because it'll save you money. It'll save mm-hmm. you. Like when you're talking about before, like you know, it takes you a long time, so you can teach someone to sit, kneel. You know, where someone could be spending four months trying to stand, and then you just show up something little like that to get them going, and it saves them. Yep. You know, three months of learning, and then you know, the money of them buying big stuff. Because unfortunately there are good dealers out there, but some dealers are just going to sell you what they want to get rid of. And mm-hmm. you not having an idea, I, I, I 100% recommend to anyone, if anyone's listening to it or if anyone wants to start, is you go to a coach and you spend mm-hmm. that money to go to a coach and listen to it. Um, I'd like to ask you, the other question is, I see that there's a lot of foil drives coming into the coaching for winging. Um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's. I think the issue with them is that they. I don't know if you've gotten to try one, Kieran, but basically when you throttle up, you have yeah. So you, you you'll probably relate to this, but basically when you throttle up, uh, the nose of the board just really wants to go up super hard, and at that point you need to move your weight way yeah. far forward to compensate for that, and that's just something that doesn't happen when you're winging. You do need to keep your weight a little bit forward, you know, to for the forearm not to pop up. But otherwise, it's just not something that happens when you're winging. And the other thing is that they're so heavy and so big that it's really hard to pump the board. So for me, behind the boat or the jet ski, like you were saying before, that's really the way to do it. And you can be riding kind of the same foils that you're going to be winging on. It can be on a nice big board that you can stand up on and not have to move your feet. Just already have the instructor tell you where to put your feet. And then, you know, they put you at the right speed. They'll go, as Luke was saying, around, you know, 10 knots. It seems to be like a pretty sweet spot for a lot of folks. And I find that that's a way better setup to learn on uh, than on an E4. Having said that, I've had, I have had really good feedback from friends that have, you know, e foiled and thought that it was a good way to improve your foiling and just get more time on the foil uh, if you don't have access to a boat or a ski or something like that. One, they've got kind of a bit different things over here called fall drives, which I'm sure you've seen. They're kind of attached to your mask, so there's just a little engine that attaches. And we went to a um, demo day for it the other week, and it's it's quite a bit different. It does want to lift with the nose, but you can put them on quite bigger boards. And I know that in Australia, they're getting used to teach winging quite a bit. Um, I, I still think you're right. I think that it's it's. <sighs> It's not going to give you the exact same feeling, so you might go to um, wing afterwards and it could be completely different. But it's just another interesting concept that I guess they're bringing to try and reach more and more people. And, you know, I guess if someone comes to a lesson and they're really far off learning, being able to fall, if you get them on them, they still get the feeling and might get the passion for it. Yeah, totally. I think the foil drive, it actually makes more sense than the e-foils because you have the engine so much higher up, so it doesn't That's bring right. up as much as you're saying. And it gives you that little bit of forward momentum you need to get the thing moving and to get it popped up on foil. At that point, as you're saying, you know, you pop up and you get the feeling and cool. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're having fun right away. Because the one thing I've seen a problem with towing is is the kind of rope you're using. So if you just like the rope that we had at the school was not as like a kind of uh, the stretchy ones that you use for wake foiling and stuff. So our rope would sink. Our rope was super tight. It was like a yellow, whatever standard nylon rope stuff. So like it was super hard on their arms. 
So there was, and then as a ski driver, you got to get used to throttling up, throttling down. So there's a lot of things that came into making that an enjoyable experience as I learned how to be a better instructor for the people that I was teaching. Um, but if you get the right tow rope, obviously, so if anybody that doesn't want to try that, get the right tow rope, don't cheap out because they do, yeah. the other ones sink. The other ones will yank your shoulder out. And then what I would yeah. say is as soon as you go to fall, let go of everything, I'll come by, I'll pick you back up. Because what I was finding was that people would hold on and then they would Fine. start to, yeah. And then they would just start to sink underwater. And it takes me uh, like 15 seconds to go. And then you do like this kind of question mark thing with your jet ski, which then puts the handle right in front of them. And then they just grab it and they pop right back on. So that's the only downfalls I've seen of it. Um, another thing I saw when I was teaching a buddy who was used to kiteboarding is he went way too far forward on the board and kept asking for more speed. So he was like, dude, I'm not going fast enough. I can't pop, I can't pop. And I was like, and I, and I did it once. And then as soon as he popped, he came so close to hitting that he, I saw the like the fear of, yeah. of what death in his eyes. And I said, okay, so next time we're going to back you right up onto it and that's go super slow. And then you'll know the difference of kiting versus this because foiling is not about speed. So those are the little things that, that I've noticed about teaching um, of towing. Um, obviously if you can get something where you can like throttle lock, it would be awesome because you're always kind of playing up and down, but um but yeah, for us, it was mainly the things that I learned that were the hardest was the rope, just to make sure you had the right rope. Oh, fun and good. I totally agree. I've had the um, the opportunity to tow with a, quite a few different crafts. And I think what seems to be the easiest is the biggest boat you can find with the most powerful engine you can find, because the boat absolutely doesn't care about the person behind it. Uh, whereas a ski or like a really small rib or something like that, um, you just don't have enough power to go at a constant speed without going up quite a bit. And the second person pops up in the soil, he's like, woo, off to accelerate. Um, so the person who's driving needs to be really on it and kind of throttle down and keep everything under control. Whereas a big boat with a big, powerful engine, it doesn't feel the person behind it. So you can just set the RPMs at what you want them to be. You set your speed at 10 knots and that's it. So pretty much what, what we're saying is we'd like a $250,000 weight yeah. for this, for the podcast, yeah. you know, and we want to be able to. <laughs> yeah. If it can make like a nice wave behind to learn how to surf foil, absolutely. <laughs> that's you know, sick. A, lot of, uh, a lot of followers and a lot of uh, sponsorship to. Um, <laughs> for, for all of us. <laughs> We're looking forward to chatting with you, especially when you get over to New Zealand. It'd be cool to even hop on quickly and do a little yeah, walk definitely. around with you to see how that definitely. experience kind of feels. Um, because there are a lot of people that have that have, from out here that would love to go to New Zealand. It's just it's just really far. Yeah, no, I'd be definitely keen to do that. Like, I'm, I'm super sure. happy to show any people. You know, just average Joe going to this world championship, and um, yeah. You know, just showing the experience. Nice. All right. We'll we'll talk to you soon then. And uh, hey, thanks a lot for joining us. All right. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time.